What is up team? Welcome back. It is Q&A time. Let's get right into the questions. So first one we have is, when prioritizing nutrition, does grass-fed, wild-caught, organic really matter? And then she added, to add to my question, I understand the benefits of wild-caught, grass-fed, organic, but see so many people promote it as an essential, quote-unquote, seems like BS in the grand scheme of things, but would love your opinion. All right, so let's dig into all the marketing that is going on here. So very interestingly, uh, like a grass-fed label only means that this animal wants ate grass, right? It doesn't mean that necessarily like for their entire life they did or that they're, this is like an antibiotic free or hormone free meat. Similarly, when we're talking about like free range, um, okay, they can make the claim that animal roams outside, but there's not like someone out there who does verify it when or is there like a specific time frame like we picture like okay this was a free range chicken so it was constantly like they just caught this chicken out in the wild and decapitated it and we don't <laughs> whatever uh various but that's not necessarily the case like it could be like okay this chicken was outside for five minutes cool um it's a free range chicken similarly with natural um basically this means that there aren't any artificial ingredients or added color and of course it's minimally processed but there isn't it, this has nothing to do with how the animal was raised and antibiotics can also be used here so really when we're talking about first like grass-fed meat as a whole and we could take this further to like the discussion of organic foods as a whole but like grass-fed meat as a whole the question is what are the actual proposed benefits to this and people will say higher quality right well it's, okay what does that mean and then it's like a lot of a lot of like for for buying grass-fed meats like it's basically a label whereas often the actual like the animals living conditions probably were not much better if any very similarly like if we dig into this a little bit further, the main thing most people are trying to avoid is animals that antibiotics have been used on, which can eventually lead to antibiotic resistant bacteria, um, which is then present in your meat. Now, that said, there isn't like a large body of evidence that shows that consuming these antibiotics by any mean is a concern. And again, in many situations where um, we are like buying grass-fed meat, for example, well, that doesn't necessarily mean that there weren't antibiotics used on. So very much the labels are misleading. Like it's very much open to interpretation of the uh, <laughs> like the people that are doing the marketing as a like, okay, this was grass-fed, but it doesn't necessarily mean like. This was a grass-fed 24-7 for the entirety of his life. Like, maybe we once, like, fed it grass for one feeding, right? There's a lot of room for interpretation there. Now, past that point, again, like, there's not a strong body of evidence that seems to show there that the antibiotics, antibiotics is necessarily a concern. Um, now, very similarly... 
the second argument typically towards like this higher quality beef is that or like higher quality type meat is that um these like pasture raised animals are the ones that truly have been there is typically a higher concentration of omega-3s to omega-6s typically people are the typical like western diet is short on omega-3s so beneficial for health now that said it still is below one percent of the beef's overall um fatty acid content so again it's just really not a massive deal and that's like very similarly if we take this to the conversation of should you eat all organic foods now i remember when i first dug into this and very much like alan aragon alan aragorn is alan aragon or alan aragorn uh like one of the godfathers of nutrition very much i remember when i was first digging into, into this i dug into his research and i was very much prescribed to like the uh everyone should mostly eat organic foods train um and i'm actually going to quote him directly here so one way to overpay for foods is by subscribing to the organic label which often doubles the price but is it worth it thus far a substantial body of research evidence says no consecutive systematic reviews have recently concluded that there is no difference in nutrient quality or nutrition related health advantages between organically and conventionally produced food stuff. And again, I remember being shocked digging into this, like really how little, like in the studies that they do on this, how little of a benefit there is to eating organic grass-fed versus like not so. So really my final two cents here would be, I think this falls pretty similar to like artificial sweeteners, whereas it's somewhat minutia and it's probably not something that most people that are worrying about it should be doing if you're not like consistently controlling your calories getting seven to eight hours of sleep per night managing stress getting at least five thousand steps a day and training at least three days per week um past that point again it's still very much like it does remind me a lot of artificial sweeteners because it's somewhat unknown like but as of now there's not a strong body of evidence very much like the studies that they have done comparing and less so on here like less so um like a pasture raised beef versus like let's say uh i don't even know the word for one that wasn't but one that was just raised in like a whatever a cattle farm i don't think that's the right word a feedlot there we go um but like when we're looking at again like organic fruits and veggies versus non the health differences or the benefits to health seem to be nearly non-existent which is very surprising um so i would say truly most of these things are marketing i know make your own decisions but for me personally it's not something that i worry about all right so next question um i've been working out and lifting weights slash hit training consistently for three years I have done tons of beach body type programs with little change noted in the past two years, along with increased difficulty to even maintain. Um, from there, to summarize, um, training from home, I have dumbbells up to 25 pounds, 
a five foot barbell with some plates, a pull up and resistance bands. What I'm running into with lower body is having to train unilaterally to reach fatigue with 50 pounds in such small reps. Um, basically one, how should I upgrade? And then she mentioned as a whole, her goal is body recomposition. So to paraphrase, just curious how to go about training. All right, so again, that was from a relatively long email, so I wanted to paraphrase it a bit. So first and foremost, this is pretty common. A lot of clients that we work with, a lot of clients that Andrea works with have come from a background of like, hey, I've been working my ass off for several years. I've been following like a hit style of training or something that's more focused on the calorie burn. But my goal is basically to get leaner and get more defined. So basically when we break that down, like, okay, leaner and more defined, what does that mean? For most people, okay, we want more shape to our muscles and we know we can't necessarily like, I'm not one of those assholes that's gonna say like, don't ever say the word toned, but we know basically muscles either grow or shrink, right? They don't like, hey, this is gonna lengthen your muscles and this is gonna tone them more versus this is gonna make them more bulky. They either get bigger or they get smaller. And much of like how those muscles appear is the level of body fat that surrounds them, right? So for most people that want to get lean and defined or toned, which I don't want to stereotype here at all, but I would say like the majority of people I've worked with coming from or Andrea has worked with coming from a beach body style of training, that's typically the goal. Again, no stereotypes there, but that's typically the goal. Uh, okay, so we know then basically you're wanting to build muscle and lose fat, right? Or AKA achieve a body recomposition. So we also know that this style of training is gonna burn, it's more focused on the calorie burn, right? But the reality is even if you're working your ass off in your training, you're not gonna burn that many calories. I would say at most around five to 7% of the total calories you burn in a day if you're working your ass off with a style of training, will actually come from that training. So really not enough to make a difference if your nutrition is on a point. But on the flip side, when we're training like this, the rate limiter isn't fatigue in the specific muscle or muscles that you're trying to build. Because often we're doing these nonstop circuits um, with very little rest time between super high reps. So more than anything, typically the rate limiter is our cardiovascular system. We're just gassed by this point so we can't push too hard so this does actually prevent us oftentimes from reaching the effective rep range which is basically this range from five reps shy of failure to failure and really for most people it'd be smart to think of it as three reps shy of failure to failure um where we have to reach this range this effective rep range to actually stimulate new muscle growth so the problem with the style of training is it's not really that effective for fat loss but it's also pretty shitty for building muscle so you're working a lot, but you're not getting much out of your time. And this is what we help people do. Like everyone that hops on board is already working their asses off. They're already training very consistently. We just take that effort that you're already putting in and help you get much more specific with, just make it much more directed to your specific goals, which is what most people are missing. By the way, if this sounds like something that you need, hit the link in the show notes to apply for coaching with us. But um, from there, so that's the biggest problem with the style of training. So for a body recomposition, what we wanna consider is, nutrition is where your fat loss comes from. Training should always be geared towards building muscle. Whether your goal is fat loss or building, 
Training needs to be geared towards building muscle regardless. And we stray too far away from that when we get too cute, like trying to add in like lots of fat loss movements. Basically, people just don't build muscle or even can potentially lose a bit of muscle and get further from the physique they want. Whereas nutrition is just the, has to be the primary factor for getting leaner. Now from there, um, to answer the question about RIR. So the problem was only has up to 25 pounds and sometimes she has to take reps super high, but she was curious if she, there, she was missing out on something doing the low rep training or she could basically take it to the RIR target. So from like a bigger picture perspective, as long as we're training within the five to 30 rep range and we take a movement close enough to failure, and it's thought that potentially the higher the reps are, like closer to that 30 number, um, the closer to failure we need to go to actually get adequate stimulus to stimulate new growth. But really I would say as long as we're two to three reps shy of failure, we can get pretty similar results training anywhere from five to 30 reps. That said, if we want to get a little bit more into the weeds, as we always do on this podcast, um, there is probably some benefit from muscle fiber, a muscle fiber type perspective from spending some time training in the five to 10 rep range, some time training in the 10 to 20 rep range, and some time training in the 20 to 30 rep range. Now for most people focused on aesthetics, AKA most everyone that listens to this podcast, um, basically your number one goal is like visual improvements. It probably makes sense to spend about 40 to 60%. And of course this varies mesocycle to mesocycle. So like many classes will shift away from what I'm going to lay out here as mesocycles go on, as volume increases, as you start to get a little bit more beat up. Um, and overall fatigue has just uh, higher. But to start out, it's probably a good rule of thumb to spend about 40 to 60% of your time in the 10 to 20 rep range. Typically, that's where we find like the best stimulus to fatigue ratio in most movements. So basically, this trade-off of we're getting the most stimulus for the least amount of fatigue. Um, 5 to 10 rep range, heavier weights are going to force us to recruit more fast-switch motor units uh, and muscle, or excuse me, muscle fibers, not motor units. But typically those are also the most taxing like training those lower rep ranges with heavier weights so we do want to be more limited with that so i'd say about 20 to 40 percent of your time there and then with our 20 to 30 rep range i'd say about 10 to 30 percent of your time more slow twitch fibers better suited to of course like uh isolation movements think like lateral raises for example or like a leg extension now that said and that is, again, that's somewhat off in the weeds. Whereas really, if you train a knee dominant movement, a hip dominant movement, a push, a pull, and I would vary between, of course, horizontal and vertical, or like horizontal pressing and incline pressing, horizontal and vertical pulling, as long as you train those two to three times per week, those main patterns, in the five to 30 rep range, and train, I would say to two RIR or less in this case, you can really stimulate quality muscle growth so like in a scenario like this where like let's say you're following a training program um and like this uh she grabbed like one of my free training programs but was asking about the equipment to work with it so there what i would say is okay 
um, maybe like I programmed a split squat for seven to 10 reps, right? But when you hit 10 reps, you're still at four RIR. So there what I would look at is continue with the movements, but rather than focusing on the rep ranges, just hit your RIR target. Very similar to like the strategy we use or we used a lot more like at the start of quarantine, which was like a year ago now, I guess, um, where a lot more clients were training at home and we had to, one, it was a little bit harder to know like the first couple weeks, especially like what loads should you be using to keep it below 30 reps. So really a lot more, we would just set like an RIR target. Okay, rep it out of the two RIR this week. Now this week, one to two. Now this week, one. Now this week, zero to one. And we use that as our method of progression. And really that's, a solid plan here now that said like when you're looking to upgrade i would say for someone training at home who has the setup that she has i would definitely continue to get heavier dumbbells and then her final concern was grip has improved but it's still a big limiting factor over 25 pounds so the final thing i would say here is for anyone listening like i i sent so many clients wrist straps um because we don't want grip to be the limiting factor. Like we can look at this, let's say that, let's use Romanian deadlift as an example. So many people never actually get a good stimulus for their glutes or hamstrings on their Romanian deadlift because their grip always gives out first. So then like you're spending hours every month and year doing Romanian deadlifts, but you're not actually getting effective reps out of them. And of course we could say like probably there still is some benefit to the actual muscle, the still like the mechanical tension that we experience leading up to like our grip failure. But why not just use wrist straps to make grip no longer the rate limiter? Again, anytime we're training for aesthetics or hypertrophy, we want the rate limiter to the things that, the thing that causes you to stop the set to be fatigue in the specific muscle group. So you can grab wrist straps off of Amazon for like eight, nine bucks. I love Versa grips. I think they're like 65 bucks, so a little bit more expensive. Um, worth it, in my opinion, if you're like a ser someone that has very serious physique aspirations. Uh, but that said, you can get the same job done with like the $8 wrist straps. They just take a little bit more time to set up. Um, but really, like not even just like Romanian deadlifts, but like her example here, like split squats any rowing movement, any pulling movement, it makes so much sense to use those. All right, final question we have is any book recommendations for new coaches trying to build a business? All right, so as far as coaching skills goes, let me pull up my book list I send here. All right, so as far as coaching skills goes, Atomic Habits is a must read, probably for me, one of the most impactful books on my life and like the way I coach, Atomic Habits teaches you it's not like at all a personal development book, but it very much is because it teaches you like all those things that you do, like those annoying habits. Like for example, um, you always get distracted by social media unless you never like accomplish the things you need to do to become the person you want to be, which is very much like a personal development-ish issue. Like this is keeping me from loving the person that I am because I feel like I am not accomplishing all I'm capable of. Atomic Habits teaches you like how to, basically those things come down to your habits and Atomic Habits teaches you how to completely change those. Um, but from like a coaching perspective too, it gives you so much, like that same thing that you can apply with clients. So rather than like just try harder, like the 
the habit loop, the cue, craving, response, reward is something that I use constantly with clients still like in the environment design, like how do you set your environment up to make following through with a person that you want to be easier rather than like, okay, I'm just going to rely on willpower and discipline all the time. Like he has a quote in the book. Uh, it's something along the lines of, we think of these very disciplined people as, or people that we have what we want as like, just these people that have so much higher discipline and willpower than we do but the reality is they're probably just people that are better at putting themselves in scenarios that make success easier or like have less temptations than you do so that one's crazy helpful i love the book coaching for performance motivational interviewing what is it for motivational interviewing for training and nutrition i think is what it's called it's a great book as well um, I honestly like Coaching for Performance Better by John Whitmore. I think it's a little, first, personally, I found it a little bit easier to apply. I Again, I like motivational interviewing, but I think like most everything, it is like we need to understand the individual that we're working with and understand that there's not just one way to communicate with, that we should communicate with everyone. Just like there's not just one diet or there's not just one training program. Uh, the Coaching Habit by Michael Stanier is a very good one as well. Similar to coaching for performance, not nearly as in-depth, but still took a lot of value from it. Um, Conscious Coaching by Brett Bartholomew, highly recommend. These are all like coaching skills, not specifically diving into like training and nutrition. Crucial Conversations is pretty solid. I'd recommend that as well. Now from, that's from a coaching skills perspective. From a business development perspective, Building a Story Brand by Donald Miller, great one. Um, Nutrition, I would definitely say, of course, the Muscle and Strength Pyramids is one we have to recommend. The Women's Book by Lyle McDonald is pretty good if you work with women. That said, it's pretty dense. Really, I would say most coaches read Fat Loss Forever, um, and the Muscle and Strength Pyramid, Fat Loss Forever by Lay Norton, the Muscle and Strength Pyramids, those are both very, very solid. Um, from a mindset perspective, let's see what we got here. Start With Why is a great book. I, actually, I would say Mastery, the book Mastery by Robert Greene. I like the book Start With Why, but I do think it also becomes somewhat redundant in like, Okay, we get it. Like, remembering why what you're doing is very important. The book Mastery by Robert Greene, I think from like a mindset perspective, is probably been one of the most impactful books that I've read. I remember the first time, I, the only time I read this, but in like 2017, um, and it just like hit me so hard how important, like to truly become a master at what you're doing, like spending thousands and thousands of hours, not just like doing the sexy things, but like the true masters of their crafts, like Charles Darwin, for example, um, not necessarily like someone we would think of as like a master of his craft, but like creating Darwinism, which like that's a whole different topic. Um, and by no means am I like uh, taking supporting or like going against Darwinism. But the point of this is like the amount of time that he put into like. Uh, of studying all these different aspects of nature 
for so long and creating this whole philosophy around like the enti- how the entire world and all these things came to be it's just mind-blowing like when you truly hear the story and it, it's amazing again regardless of what you believe it's so crazy and he also talks about like leonardo da vinci um einstein and there's a couple other i don't remember if it was bach or who there's a musician but it's so interesting because he digs so deep into like these people that are like from hundreds of years ago they are still like the people that we would consider like the masters in this field right and how like all the similarities that they have with just like this devotion to mastery not necessarily of like the sexy things but like the monotonous behind the scenes things as well it's such a good book because it really like it's it is truly crazy like how different these people were but like how methodical they were even like i remember one of the biggest things that i drew from that book at the time was like all these people had a very structured schedule to every single day i should probably get on that it's so truly i think like from a mindset perspective that's probably one of the most important books and it's like so much like it's so much more important to don't waste your time like just i shouldn't say waste your time but like the the things behind the scenes like how you as a coach answer every single email is so fucking important like it's so much more than just like making yourself look cool on social media right like there's in the culmination it's very much like the culmination of if you do these things to a high standard no matter the day it leads to mastery and like what you want versus if you do these things to like you make yourself look cool on social media you talk about like giving all these value or whatever but then like behind the scenes you don't actually do that or you don't always do that like it's it's so fucking important anyways uh that could be a whole another rant i feel like personal development um the war of art and turning pro both by stephen pressfield such good books check those out productivity check out deep work by cal newport and indistractable by near ial yell anyways it's indistractable by n-i-r first name e-y-a-l last name both such good books on like staying focused and actually getting shit done then finally as far as training goes definitely the scientific principles of hypertrophy training by renaissance periodization the muscle and strength pyramids training edition by eric helms would be my two most recommended books and yeah i think that's what i would recommend that should keep you busy for quite a while so that is what i have for you guys for today as always thank you for tuning in